Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. When I heard uh, Kathy's encouragement today, I just want to let you know I'm. we are in our 70s. We've had lots of ups and downs in life, um, lots of facings. We've lost a child. We didn't get pregnant for 14 years, so we had to wait for children. We've lost jobs. All the things that happen down here in the fallen world. But the thing that, and the encouragement that God has always given me is from Psalm 84. And I want to read it to you. It says, Blessed is the man whose heart is set on pilgrimage. That this is a journey. None of us, this step you're on today, whether it's a really, really painful one or not, is just a step. And we're all heading towards uh, being with the Lord. And it goes on to say, When these people whose heart are set on pilgrimage pass through the valley of Baca, which was the valley of tears, the hard times, right? They, they make it into a spring. And Jeremiah says, um, my people have committed two sins. They won't come to me, the living water. They try to dig their own wells. And if we don't dig our own wells, and we dig into Jesus, we find a spring of water, even in the hard times. So I would just say, if you're in one of those hard times, dig into the Lord. This is not it. Your paycheck is not it. Your home is not it. He is it. And that's our destination. That's our destiny. So set your heart on pilgrimage. This step is not the end of your life story. It's just a day. Well, it's really good to be here today. I want you to know that uh, I can't remember if, if my wife mentioned that uh, we're celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary uh, on the 15th of August. And she was 11 and I was 12 when we got married. Now, it's amazing how time flies. Suddenly you just think, wow, 50 years. You know, I have a little song that I sing when I have my time with the Lord. And that is, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my wife. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my wife. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for my wife. I don't know where I'd be today. If it wasn't for Jesus, of course, first. And then if it wasn't for this incredible gift that he's given to me. She's traveled with me. And uh, I, I don't like going any place at all without her. Well, I would like to just tell you a little bit about our um, two books that we've written. They're out on a table outside, or in the, in the foyer. Uh, first one we wrote, Cameron mentioned, is called The World's Greatest Revivals. And um, uh, I was on the team in Toronto for a period of time, and 
And uh, as Cameron was mentioning, this outbreak of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God and revival broke out. I thought, what in the world would God need another network of churches for when he already has 2,000 or more? And so I felt like what I should do is is study everything I possibly could on, on the area of revival because I believed that what was going on in revival was, excuse me, what, what was going on in Toronto was really revival. And I don't know if you're aware of that, but this is a revival area. Incredible revivals have happened here. Just all the way through the Midwest. And I visited some of those sites. It's a man by the name of Barton Stone in Cane Ridge Revival. Kentucky, which is not too terribly far from here. I mean, just amazing stories of what God did in various places. And the way he has basically created life, when the, when the church has gotten cold, he's brought about new life through revival. And I found out, I did everything I possibly could to, to try to understand what revival really is. Because when revival broke out in Toronto, people are saying that's not revival. Because of the fact that people are not spilling out into the streets and 3,000 people are not coming to the Lord in one day. Now those people don't know what revival is. And the more I studied about revival, the more I found that it has to do with the restoration of things that were lost. And very often it has to do with things as simple as salvation based upon the cross. Or the Holy Spirit. You know, the church started off with Jesus and the outbreak of the Holy Spirit. And it just, and it just soared. And then suddenly people just got kind of cold. And so revivals are basically the whole release, re-release of what we had before. It's restoration. And so we've traced all of that and put it in a book. It's a six-year project my wife and I did, pulling it together. And uh, it's gone all over the world. Found out recently it's been uh, translated in Indonesian. And uh, then a little bit later on, we found out it's been translated into Mandarin Chinese. And uh, they're using it in those countries, and I didn't even know about it. So that's been pretty excited, exciting. A second book that's back there is a book that we wrote uh, just a couple of years ago. It's called The Power of Thanksgiving. And uh, I had a dream. I won't go into details in regard to the dream. You can read about it in the book. But I found that God speaks through dreams. The interesting thing is, uh, you see in Scripture that uh, old men have dreams and young men have visions, right? Well, I found out how God looks at me. It's an old man. I don't mind at all, as long as I can still stand up. Still speak, and so anyway, this uh, this book really is talking about the importance of Thanksgiving, not the celebration of the day, but 
the whole attitude of thanksgiving. And it's been really the primary or a primary focus in our lives as we've been involved in ministry all these years. And when we stop thanking, we find that things start drying up. Revival can dry up. Wonderful things can dry up. Thanksgiving is extremely important in the economy of the kingdom of God. I've had people talk to me that have read this book, and they said, Fred, I, I want you to know that I read it, I picked it up, and I couldn't set it down. Now, it's short, and it's fun reading. And they said it changed my life. I realized I was grumbling too much. And what this has done is basically caused me to step into Thanksgiving. So they're both available in the back. I have a little different approach. And that is I want everyone here to have a copy. If you don't have any money, take a copy. Unless you have a copy already. I don't have... I suddenly realized I didn't have one of these for everyone. But uh, we can get some here. Good gammon. And if you... Uh, if you would like to uh, contribute, donate some money toward the uh, printing of it uh, at our costs, uh, you can see on the little sign what it costs us. And uh, contribute if you have the money, but if you don't have it, don't worry about it. We have not been interested in trying to make money off this at all. People who write books, particularly Christian books, never get rich. Well, this morning, I really felt like, I got up really early this morning, and I felt like the Lord gave me a little bit of a, a different twist on uh, the message that I was planning on bringing. But um, I'd like to ask a question of you before we get started. And that is, have any of you ever thought about what Jesus was doing in heaven? Because we know that he is he's eternal. What was he doing in heaven while he was waiting for the opportunity to come to the earth in a body like ours? Ever thought about that? Has anyone here ever thought about that, or is it, am I the only weird one? <laughs> there was one hand here. Well, if you have your Bible, I'd like to have you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I'd like to have you, just. we're just going to read a little bit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay, what we see here is that from the very beginning, the commission that Jesus had, even while he was in eternity, was the Word. It's a means by which God speaks. God reveals himself. 
The Bible is clear in regard to that. He is the revelation of the Father. And he was the revelation of the Father even while he was in eternity. Now in verse 11 it says, And he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Now this is past tense. He came to his own. When was that? I believe it's pretty clear that it was before he came in flesh. And his own did not receive him. The nation of Israel that he came to, through prophets and other things, did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So speaking, 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 that's what his job has been. And we know that uh, there are many places in the Old Testament where it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Amos. The word of the Lord came to... Who was the Word? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, Jesus probably was not in eternity, just kind of sitting back thinking, well, let's see, I've got about 2,000 years left before I've got the, the flight to the earth. No, every once in a while, the Father must have said, see that man over there? He's a prophet. I want you to go down and talk to him and tell him this. And he came as the Word. Isn't that kind of an interesting approach? Well, we're going to look at one of those prophets today. Let's turn to, to Ezekiel 47. Actually, starting in um, Ezekiel 46. Verse 1, thus says the Lord God, the gate of the inner court facing east shall be shut six working days, but it shall be opened on the Sabbath day and open on the day of the new moon. So we find here that apparently Jesus was sent to tell Ezekiel, to give Ezekiel, a message about what was to be done with the gate in Jerusalem. Now we go on in verse 19, and it says, Then he brought me through the entrance. Now the thing that we find in 46 and 47 is that, is that the word, Jesus, becomes kind of a tour guide for Ezekiel. And he takes him. And they wander around through Jerusalem, and he points out various things. And then all of a sudden, a very interesting thing happens as we get into chapter 47. We're going to try to move fairly quickly here. And Ezekiel calls this person, Jesus, I believe, The man. So he's in a human form, but not a flesh form. 
That doesn't happen until later, when he comes in flesh. But in 47, we find, it says, Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east. For the house faced east, and the water was flowing down from under, from right side of the house, from south of the altar. Now, that's kind of confusing to me. I don't know if it's confusing to you. Then it says in 2, And he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate by way of the, uh, the gate that faces the east. And behold, water was trickling. Now, when, when we start thinking of, of Ezekiel 47, a lot of people say, Oh, that's the river, that's the river chapter. Particularly when we were in, in Toronto, people recognize it. Oh, this, this is a river movement. What they don't realize is it wasn't a river movement. I want to show you what a trickle is. Is that a river? No. <laughs> it's a trickle. Got it? Water is trickling from under the throne. Might as well drink some while I've got it. <laughs> now I think uh, I think that Jesus had Ezekiel's attention. This is not a picture. It's something he's seen, apparently, with his eyes. Only a trickle. And then in verse 3, it says this, When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits. Now, a thousand cubits is 500 yards. I ran the 400 yard, 400 meter race while I was in high school and college. I wasn't very fast at it. I have short legs. And I had some guys with legs up to their shoulders <laughs> that were on my team, and they were always running way fast, way faster than me. You know, and so I'd, I'd take off in the first 10 yards, I was doing fine, but then they were way out, 50 yards out. And I, uh, I never won a race, but I kept running because I liked running. And so I know, personally, what 500 yards is. It's a, it's a long ways. And it says... A thousand cubits. Now, a cubit is from here to there. That's the way they measured at that period of time. And so here, if you can picture, Ezekiel is with the man, Jesus. And he's wandering around showing him things. And then all of a sudden, Jesus pulls out a string. Now, I don't know if he said, Ezekiel, hold this end. And then he just took off. 
500 yards away until he came to the end of the string. I wanted to find out exactly how big a person would be 500 yards away. I have a son that's about 6'1", and one day uh, I took him to a straight, flat road where we lived in, in the Toronto area. And I said, Nathan, what I would like you to do is I want you to step off 500 yards or 500 meters. And he went out there, and I could barely, I just watched him. And by the time he got out to the end of 500 yards, he was about this big. You know, when he's with me, he's big. But there he is way out there because he's so far out in the distance. Well, the crazy thing is, Jesus kept doing this. And then my, my belief is that as Ezekiel got, you know, kept his eyes on him thinking, what in the world is he doing? And he'd get out there and probably Jesus says, come on, come on now. Now, Ezekiel is standing next to the temple, probably in the shade, in a hot area. The water is still trickling, not a river. And then Jesus says, Ezekiel, come. And so Ezekiel takes off, keeping his eyes on Jesus. And suddenly he gets to Jesus, and you know what he finds? The trickle has changed. It wasn't a river before. It was a trickle. I got the picture. I want to make this really clear. It's a trickle. But by the time Ezekiel gets out to where Jesus is, suddenly he looks down, and the water is up to his ankles. No longer a trickle. It's changed. As he gets toward Jesus, the water is multiplied. Then all of a sudden, as Ezekiel gets to Jesus, what happens? Jesus takes off again. Hold the end of the line. Now, I'm adding that. <laughs> and he takes off again. And Ezekiel's probably thinking, oh no, I just got here. And he takes off again. So, there he's, then he gets called. So he keeps his eyes on Jesus. And as he gets close to Jesus, suddenly he realizes the water is up to his knees. Trickle, ankles, knees. Now it's starting to be river, almost river category. Got it? The crazy thing is, now when, uh, when Ezekiel gets to Jesus the next time, Jesus says, here, and take the string, 
And he takes off again. And the whole time, I believe it was Ezekiel just kind of watching him. Oh no, it's another time. Incredible. By the time he gets out the third time, the water is now up to his waist. This is becoming serious water now. I don't know if it would be serious water here, but where I come from, water up to here is serious water. You can even swim in it if you want. But the crazy thing is, Jesus turns right around, gives him the end of the string, and he takes off again. <coughs> and then he calls for Ezekiel again. And I would imagine Ezekiel's realizing that the water is getting deeper the longer. You know, as I get out there, something's going on. This is incredible. And as he gets to Jesus, I don't know if water was up to here on Jesus, but it was up to there probably on Ezekiel. And suddenly Ezekiel, Ezekiel realizes <coughs> the only thing he can do is swim now. He realizes it's a, it's a serious river. And then as soon as they get to this point, what happens? Jesus turns to Ezekiel again and he says, come on. See what happened? Let's go to the, go to the shore. Go to the bank. So he takes him. They walk to the bank. And when they get to the bank, they look out onto this River. That was a trickle. It becomes a river. And Jesus says, What do you notice? Well, there's incredible trees. There's trees on both sides. And each tree is, is growing fruit. And then they then he notices. This river is running down into the sea, is what it's called. You know what sea that is? It's the Dead Sea. No life. Just death. No fish. Nothing on the banks before it started. And suddenly there's life. Incredible life. Fruit bearing. Life. Fish in the river and in the sea. And Jesus turns to Ezekiel and he said, See that? Got it? See what happens when you, when you go toward me? When you keep your eyes on me? Up to that period of time, Ezekiel had been uh, Jerusalem is kind of a dusty city. 
Now he's in a position in which he realizes, keeping his eyes on the Word, the living Word, means that life starts springing up. The river develops. They didn't go to the bank of a river and walk out into the river. It was a trickle. But it became a river. See, that's one of the things that happened in Toronto. Before the Holy Spirit's presence broke out in the church, it had been a trickle. People came to church on Sunday. And the water that they got was in a little plastic bottle. And then suddenly, Jesus showed up. Father showed up. The Holy Spirit showed up. And what had been a trickle has become a river. And it's gone out all over the world carrying incredible truths and incredible presence. I visited one of the countries that has been impacted out of 45 that I visited since I've been there. Country of Mozambique. Country that had been at civil war, in civil war for over 30 years. Killing each other off. Terrible, terrible problems. Terrible poverty. And one of the young ladies came to Toronto. Her name is Heidi Baker. And she got impacted. She was a missionary. A burned out missionary. Ready to throw in the towel. And she rediscovered Jesus and his love for her. She discovered the Father's love. She went back home and now oversee a ministry of 13,000 churches. They have an orphanage. In fact, they have multiple orphanages. Tens of thousands of people come to the Lord every year. Changing the face of a nation. So what happens when the, where the river goes. Okay, now, I just want to share in closing what this is all about. You know, when Jesus eventually came to the earth in the flesh, one of the key things that he did, we read about in John chapter 17. It's a prayer that he prays. Verse 20 and 24. You have your Bible, I'd like to have you turn to it. Let's read it. Jesus is praying here, and he says, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, 
that they may be they all may be one, even as as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that you may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, this is one of the things that happens when suddenly we're in a position in which we're getting overwhelmed by Jesus. The world starts getting affected. People around us start being affected. Our attitudes, our fear that keeps us from sharing our faith starts changing. Then he says in uh, verse 24, Father, I desire that they whom you have given me be with me where I am in order that they might behold my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is praying to the Father here, and I believe that this is the reason he wanted Ezekiel to be with him. But he wanted to test Ezekiel. Ezekiel, are you going to be willing, when I call for you to be with me, to come To be with me? So Jesus says, Father, let them be with me that they might behold my glory. Now, you know what beholding is versus glancing? I can glance at my wife, and I notice she's sitting there still in the front row, and she hasn't gotten up and left yet. Or I can behold her. This is beholding. I learned something about beholding a long time ago. And about marriage. And that is that um, we had a Bible school that we ran in Sweden. And when I was speaking in the, or teaching in the Bible school, sometimes my wife would come in and sit, sit in the back seat. And I could tell, after we had been married about 20 years, what she was saying to me. She'd be saying something like, which basically means, get on with it. Or she'd give me a, a look like this. You know what that look was? I love you, Fred. And I'm praying for you. See, one of the things that happens when we behold is we begin to understand communication at a deeper level. It doesn't have to be loud words. It doesn't have to be thunderous words of communication. We get to know Jesus so well when we're beholding him that we hear his heart. We hear how he communicates and what he wants to communicate to us at a deeper level. And you know what the result of that is? One of the things is it changes us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes a very interesting thing about beholding. 
He says this. He says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. That's a very interesting thing. We don't have to change ourselves when we're beholding. When we're concentrating on focus, focusing our lives on Jesus, he changes us. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. Suddenly we find, we find that we start becoming loving like Jesus. Suddenly we, be, we start finding that we're fearless like Jesus. We're obedient like Jesus. And it just comes by beholding. We all with unveiled face. The veil is gone. All the issues of unforgiveness, all the issues of anger and resentment, they're gone because we're beholding Jesus. He takes them away. Suddenly, the church starts becoming, wow, the shiny place. The place where everybody wants to go. Because good stuff is happening there. Miracles are happening there. People are getting healed. You know, one of the things we find that fellowship is about is encouraging everyone to focus on Jesus. I love, love talking to Christians. My primary message is focus on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Focus. Paul says one more thing that I'd like to bring to your attention. He says this to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, he prays for the, for the Ephesian church. He says, I, I pray, this is verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you might know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, Paul is saying this, that the inheritance that Jesus gets becomes our inheritance as we focus as the eyes of our heart are opened, we might know the hope of this calling. We've got a lot of bad stuff going on in the world today. I would imagine there's some of you that probably have been following some of the news that's going on in the world. All the stuff. Now, as we get closer toward the return of Christ, and I don't know when that is, I have a hunch we're getting fairly close. We're going to be need, we're going to need everything we possibly can. We need all the river we can get. All the presence we can get. All the fullness we can get. 
comes about as we behold him. I want you to know I can't sleep past four in the morning. I just get up, wake up, and I can't, I, I can't get up. I, 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 can't, I can't go back to sleep. Get up and get a cup of coffee. And I start focusing. It's a choice. I could try to force myself to go back to sleep, but it just doesn't seem to work. You know, it's just like with Ezekiel. It was a choice that he had to make five times in this weird confrontation that he has with Jesus. I believe that Jesus was testing Ezekiel to just see if he was willing to take the effort to be with him. And as Ezekiel passed the test, the trickle became a river. You know something? I would love to hear Cameron say to me. You know that little church in Vandalia? You wouldn't believe what's going on there right now. Jesus is showing up and he's doing incredible things. The whole community is flocking to that church. There's not a, not a single seat that is free. Just open. I mean, there's just people coming all the time. have the time of your life. Okay. Let's all stand. You know, what I'd like us to do is, um, can you just take the hand of the person across the aisle here on both sides, if we can work that out? And then you get to the end of the aisle, and I'd like you to kind of have this big loop. You got the picture? So you should all be holding on to two hands. Is there anybody here that's not holding on to two hands? Oh. <laughs> okay, I'm going to join in this circle, if I may. I, I don't want to split the two of you up. Now what I'd like you to do is just pray what Paul prayed. Father, just pray that you'd open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. That I might be able to see. That I might be able to see. What is the hope? What is the hope of my calling? Of my calling. It's actually the hope of His calling. Help me to see. Help me to see. Help me to see you. And behold. Behold your beauty. Behold your glory. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're going to be doing in my life. Thank you, Lord.
you know, one last thing. And that is, some of you have grown up in a Christian home, like I did. And what I found is, as I look back on it, I slid into Christianity. I couldn't help it. My parents were Christians. They took me to church. I didn't have a choice. And there was a point in which I realized that even though that I had prayed the sinner's prayer, I actually ended up praying it several times. Down deep inside, I just knew that I didn't know Jesus. And I was in some meetings one day, and a man challenged me to have the same type of testimony that I did. It wasn't until he was 19 that somebody explained that we have to actually invite Jesus into our lives. Now, if you were born in a barn, that doesn't make you a cow. (laughs) If you grew up in a church, that does not make you a Christian. What makes you a follower of Jesus? is that you have at a point, a time in your life, invited Jesus into your life. I want you to all think back. When was it in your life that you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Was there something that occurred? Something real that happened? For me, this man challenged me. He said, Fred, asking Jesus to come into your life doesn't mean that that it happened. It's a gift. We read about it in John chapter 1. It comes when we receive the gift. You know how we receive it? We say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you that you're my Savior. Now, if you're not sure that you have ever really received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you right now to just pray that little prayer that I led you in. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that I can receive you. No, thank you that I can behold you. Thank you that you give me your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just let the Holy Spirit One of the things you'll find 
that as you continue to walk with the Lord, like Ezekiel did, you'll get better and better and better at sensing the filling and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I found that now in my life I can give a person a hug. And I know when I give them a hug if they know the Holy Spirit. That's just so very much that's part of this package. Okay. Got it? It gets better and better. And the river gets deeper and deeper. And it gets more and more fun. 